Attention mining investors. Brazil Resources Incorporated trading as BRIZF on the OTC and BRI on the TSXV is exploring and developing five gold projects in Brazil, surrounded by expanding gold mines and deposits. It's acquiring a nearly 700,000-ounce gold resource. BRI has top geologists earlier involved in discovering 10 million ounces of gold in Brazil, led by recognized mining executive Admir Adnani, chairman. Check out Brazil Resources com or call 1-855-630-1001. That's 1-855-630-1001. All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome back to the second hour of Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I do want to thank each of you for listening to this show, making it the number one show on the Voice America Business Channel. I also want to thank our sponsors uh, for making this show economically viable. The second hour of today, our sponsors are Brazil Resources, Eurasian Minerals, Dynacor Gold Mines, Golden Arrow Resource Corporation, Miranda Gold, Precipitate Gold, and Renaissance Gold. Well, I'm really pleased to have with me for the first time Dr. Alvin Schmidt. Dr. Schmidt, um, he uh, has a Ph.D. from the University of Nebraska. Uh, He retired in 1999 as a professor of sociology at Illinois College in Jacksonville, Illinois. uh, And he is also the author of several books, including How Christianity Changed the World, and that's one we want to talk to him today about. Uh, Other books, The Great Divide, The Failure of Islam and the Triumph of the West, uh, Oligarchy and Fraternal Organizations, uh, and The Menace of Multiculturalism, uh, Trojan Horse in America. Uh, he has served as a consulting editor for Dictionary of Cults, Sex, uh, Religious, uh, and uh, Religions and the Occult. Uh, and just a little bit of color on uh, Dr. Schmidt's uh, life and background. He uh, he lived for the first four years of his life in a very primitive log cabin in Manitoba, Canada. Uh, and at age 18, he was accepted into Canada's highly selective, world-renowned Royal Canadian Mounted Police. Welcome, Dr. Schmidt, to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Well, thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Well, it's really it's really an honor to have you, and I must say that in reading the book uh, that we want to talk to you today about, uh, and that is uh, How Christianity Changed the World, it's, it's a remarkably good, well-written book and easy to read, and for people that are history buffs, there's an awful lot of history in uh uh, of science and you know every area of our of our lives, uh, medical health, whatever you want to talk about, education, uh, and really the influences that Christianity has had, the positive influences that Christianity has had. Um, certainly, it's uh, you know it's interesting too 
Um, you are a Missouri Synod Lutheran, as am I, so I think this is the first time I've had a guest on this show that's a Missouri Synod Lutheran, so we have that in common, and and probably a lot of the theological um, beliefs and, and views and uh, knowledge that we have uh, are in common as well. So it's really it's really a pleasure to have you here. You know, I was. Um, I think I shared this story with you before we went on the air. I was, uh, con- uh, I had a professor of uh, history many, many years ago, 1967, who was convinced that that uh, America was in decline or would be in decline because uh, he he saw the. Uh, I think he saw a weakening in the moral fiber, or or, or a weakening in the character and the ability to, uh, to to do with tough times. And you know, I'm I'm looking at your background, having grown up in a primitive setting in Manitoba, Canada. Life must have been pretty pretty tough in those days. Uh, and uh, but now we've had it easy for a long, long time. And you know, we talked to Jim Rogers in the first hour of today's show, and he thinks that the U.S. and the and the West in general is heading. Uh, is heading downhill for a host of reasons. Um, you know, he, he's quite a bit different than a lot of mainstream folks because he's not afraid to speak his mind, pro- probably in part because he's a very independently wealthy man. But I think it's also his character and his personality that just speak out, uh, as I know you are. What are your thoughts in general? Would you agree with Rogers that... Um, uh, in his assessment that the best days of America are now behind us? And if so, can you give us sort of a general view of why you think that might be true, if indeed you do? Then I'd like to get into some more specifics later on. Yes, I do. I very much agree with him. In fact, I have been saying it for at least three, four, five years probably now, at least three years, that basically, and I'm an optimistic person, but you have to also face realism. I think it's over. I think we've lost the battle. That doesn't mean to say I'm throwing in the towel. I'm going to fight as long as I can for what is right and what has been great for this country. But I do not see it changing. In fact, I think our leaders, the elected leaders, the politicians, are so uh, inebriated, if I may say, in terms of doing what is self-serving. I said to my wife last night when we were talking briefly, I said, we no longer have any statesmen. We have only self-serving politicians today, for example. And, oddly enough, the public wants it that way. They want to have... uh, gifts and logies given to them uh, at someone else's expense. And that is so deeply ingrained. And if you even look at it in terms of uh, almost $17 trillion of debt mm. uh, what we have incurred, this is a moral issue because who's going to pay it off? If someone's going to have to pay this off, it would be uh, not only our children, but our grandchildren, maybe great-grandchildren, mm-hmm. or whatever else may happen. So, I, yes, I think it's over, but I'm going to fight as long as I can. I do not see any bright clouds on the horizon. Yeah, and I wish uh, we could be more optimistic about that. Occasionally we have some people on this show that are that are somewhat more optimistic, and I say, wow, that feels good. Um, and, you know, you'd like to go there and, and believe that things are good. You'd like to put on the rose-colored glasses if you can. But I, I do think that we do need to, for our own protection as well as just for what is morally right, uh, own up to what the situation is and prepare ourselves as best we could. Well, I'd like to get into a little more specifics. I mean, that's sort of a good general answer, I think, about where, where you think we're at. But I'd like to just uh, read um, Paul Mayer, as a professor of ancient history, wrote the foreword to your book, um, the, uh, the uh, How Christianity Changed the World. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'd like to just read that uh, and quote uh, him. He said, at the very end of his one and a half, uh, th- this is at the very end of his one and a half page commentary, uh, uh, Professor Meyer said, 
uh, and I quote, in a climate of multiculturalism um, and its mandate to find the truth in all world religions, it is hardly politically correct to say this, yet after reading this book, I must. And I'm quoting him now. He says, no other religion, philosophy, teaching, nation, movement, whatever, has so changed the world for the better as Christianity has done. Its shortcomings, clearly conceded by this author, are nevertheless heavily outweighed by its benefits to all mankind. You will relish the pages as they un unveil these benefits, end of quote. And I must say, having read this book, or good parts of it at least, I find it extremely interesting and, and very, very interesting, uh, very, very informative. Uh, in general, um, you know, how, how has Christianity really helped us uh, with these sort of things that we've enjoyed in America? For example, freedom of speech. Uh, you, you write in your book, um, in the introduction you write, uh, many today who disparage Christianity may not know or believe that were it not for Christianity, they would not have the freedom that they presently enjoy. The very freedom of speech uh, and expression that ironically permits them to castigate Christian values is largely a byproduct of Christianity's influence, uh, influences that have been uh, incorporated into the social fabric of the Western world, end of quote. So, specifically with respect to freedom of speech, how has Christianity laid the groundworks for uh, the freedom to, to denigrate Christianity? Well, Christianity has been a freedom movement. You know, Christ wanted a lot of people to follow him. He never coerced any mm -hmm. to follow him. Neither did the disciples who followed him. Later on, there were some individuals that did, including kings and so forth. But for the most part, Christ, and even, you know, for example, Tertullian, an early church father who died somewhere between 220 and 230, said that there should be freedom of religion. No one should be coerced to follow Christianity. And mm -hmm. I can jump 1,500, 1,700 years farther down. Martin Luther said essentially the same thing, and I quote both of those individuals in this book. Mm -hmm. And I could cite many others. So Christianity always has stood for freedom. And here is the question that I asked a number of times in different ways in the book. Where does one find the greatest amount of freedom? Where Christianity has had the greatest presence or where it's had the least presence? To ask the question is to give the answer. Mm -hmm. Obviously, where Christianity had little or no presence, there is little or no freedom, not only relative to speech, but relative to movement, relative to economic activity, relative to dress. For example, go to the Mideast with Islamic countries. Women don't even have freedom to walk around with their face bare. Uh, mm -hmm. Or, for example, to share in the many other privileges that men have. Um, again, go to Christianity and you see a, a, a world of difference. And you can go back to history before Christianity even came on the scene. There simply was little or no freedom that you have found in any society, whether it was in Europe or whether it was in Africa or whether it was in Asia. There just wasn't. Christianity really changed it, but Christianity doesn't get any credit. We've taken it for granted as though freedom is sort of a built-in cultural thing. No, it isn't. It never has been, and we are already seeing it now that a lot of these freedoms are being curtailed. Well, certainly, um, you know, what you're saying is absolutely true. As a matter of fact, I, a lot of people will turn that around and say Christianity is not only not responsible for the freedoms that we have, but if anything, Christianity is a curse to freedom. And they would also like to say that, um, you know, these are just evolutionary forces. Human, human beings are getting better over time. Well, anybody who says that, I would immediately ask, provide me some documentary evidence, and they can't. It's not there. Yeah. 
I have looked hard. When I write books, I always try to, as you read from the uh, foreword by Dr. Meyer, uh, I try to see the other side. And I don't pull any punches. Christians made an awful lot of mistakes. But the values that underlie what happened in Western societies were not destroyed, even though you had a lot of misinformed, misguided, selfish-minded Christian leaders, including kings, including some church fathers and the like, but eventually in time, God's or Christ's values surfaced. Sometimes it took a long time. Uh, and so you have what we have in Western society, the freedoms of all kinds. Uh, as I mentioned, not just economically or, or freedom of speech, but freedom mm-hmm. of movement, freedom of thought, freedom of expression. Um, and there's an irony here, as you pointed out briefly, the very freedom that these people have, including these liberal left-leaning media today, that, that does, is no longer journalists, but they are propagandists to promote an ideology, do not know that that freedom they have to destroy the free enterprise system, the freedom of speech, which much of it is going on in the name of multiculturalism, political correctness, and so on and so forth, they were not able to do it had it not been for Christianity that's given freedom in the first place. Mm-hmm. Well, another freedom, another right that we've uh, come to believe is is inherent, uh, is one of our inherent rights, is the right to to a fair trial, and to right uh, the right of equality under the law. Yes, Jim. Uh, yet Jimmy Rogers was mentioning just briefly in uh, in the past hour about the right of habeas corpus, the right of uh, of of of, of uh, your own defense, mm-hmm. and that was something I think you you pointed out that goes back, of course, to the to to the Jews, to the Old Testament, to the Talmud. Yes. Uh, Moses uh, pointing out that, uh, at least in uh, in capital murder trials, that you needed to have more than one person accusing somebody, right? So is this is this yes. also rooted in in our Judeo Christian heritage? This whole yes. idea of uh, cor- uh, habeas corpus, and and that would seem to be under some threat right now as well. Well, quite right. And you know, there is, is, is in that book, I think, a quote on individual by uh, a Jewish. Rabbi, I think he's a rabbi, so I remember. yes, a rabbi, Daniel Lapin, L-A-P-I-N. And he's talking here about labor and economic freedom, for example, but I think it fits mm-hmm. the question that you're asking. He mm-hmm. says, it's no accident that a capital market has never arisen indigenously in any non-Christian country, end of quote. Huh. Uh, and Milton Friedman, also, who was a... A Jewish person background and died only what, what three years or so ago. Mm-hmm. Said also, a society which is a socialist society cannot also be democratic in the sense of guaranteeing individual freedom. And as I argue, then elsewhere, individual freedom and economic freedom are inseparable. Both are products of the Christian ethic. That's very interesting that you mentioned that uh, we uh, we played a, a speech by David Stockman, who was in the Reagan administration. This yeah, show I a remember, few weeks I back. I remember those days. And and uh, and he mentioned at a, a gathering that I attended here in New York uh, that in fact he said that what we are doing now with Mr. Bernanke and Mr. Obama is that we are destroying the capital markets from inside out. In essence, by controlling the interest rates and pushing the interest rates down, of course, people who have saved and lived 
uh, thrifty lives and put away money for their retirement now are having that or that the, the fruits of that of those savings taken away from them and uh, and given to people who are not inclined to save and bailing out banks and and so forth. But that's really interesting. And you know, one of the things I want to talk to you about, and I definitely want to have you back sometime again because there's just this book is so rich, folks. Uh, how Christianity changed the world. You got to get a copy of this, whether you're a Christian, a Jew, a Muslim, whatever. If you care about objective. Uh, uh, objective truth. Read it, and and uh, it's very well documented. I mean, this is not; these are not just uh, things that Dr. Schmidt has said uh, pulled out of the air. He's uh, he's done his research. It's uh, uh, it's it's a very hefty book. It's uh, a lot of pages here. We're looking at three, four hundred pages or so. Very very well written. Very easy to read, and and just I think very informative. Um, so if I may interrupt, the, the book yeah. is now in five foreign languages. Okay, uh, and what are those? Spanish? It's Spanish, one on the Chinese mainland, another one on the, in, in Taiwan, and in, in, in German in Germany, and has just come out in the Dutch language in the Netherlands. Well, what I was about to say is that uh, there's so much meat in this book, and one of the since this show is more about economics and finance and markets and so forth, I want to have you back sometime just to talk about uh, the influence of Christianity on free markets. We're moving in the other direction. Is it uh, is it then uh, surprising to you that we're losing our free markets at a time when we're also when Christianity is is, uh, is seemingly uh, Christian faith is in decline in the West? No, I think yeah, I think there is a pretty good relationship there that one seems to be affecting the other, and we're moving toward a socialistic uh, uh, economy or government. And any time you have a socialism, as I quoted a little while ago from Milton Friedman, so on and so forth, you cannot really have individual freedom. And we have uh, probably never, un- well, at least in the last generation i never really understood it we have not really taught it in the schools we've had in colleges high schools and sometimes even in grade schools been engaged in bashing christianity i mean pardon me bashing our country also of course christianity but we have not taught our students to understand and appreciate what they have what this country has enjoyed for 2000 years the greatest amount of freedom for example the economic system often referred to negatively as capitalism no system economic system has ever provided more freedom and liberty and prosperity than the capitalist system even when it was modified as it has been for the last 50 years or so none you cannot find any and but our students don't hear that. They don't, in college or high school classroom, instead they hear it bashed that our country is taking advantage of the poor uh, countries and so on and so forth, and that's why we are living off of their wealth and so on and so forth. All of that, of course, is not true. But in time, they begin to believe it, and they become lethargic. They think the government owes them a, min- a, 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 a living. And look how many people today are on food stamps. It's rising all the time. And there seems there's no compunction in or guilt feeling on the part of people going that the world owes me a living. In essence, is what people have come to believe. And if somebody doesn't give it to them, well, then they have been victimized. Yeah, and uh, and and raise all kinds of uh, hell about it in the streets and so forth at, at times as well. Uh, it seems ironic to me, though, that uh, you know. 
in Christianity, in the first early chapters of the of the New Testament, uh, in Acts, for example, it talks about how Christians shared with one another, but they did this willingly. It wasn't something that was forced on them, right? That is a very important point that is also not known, understood. Often, times I've heard, for example, and you go all the way back to Karl Marx and, and Lenin and these guys who wrote the communist uh, or the uh, manifesto, namely that Christianity was a socialistic, communistic system. No, 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 it was not. You had, for example, a number of individuals like the mother of Mark who had her own private home and others in the New Testament mentioned it was voluntary, and that makes the key difference. Mm-hmm. When it's voluntary, it's compatible with Christianity. When it's coercive, when the, for example, take charity. When the government gives welfare, it is no longer a Christian act because it's done coercively. When we as individuals or through some organization or through a church group give money voluntary, that is charity. The mm-hmm. other one is not because the principle underlying it is voluntary motivation behind it. And when you and I have to buy income tax support welfare programs, it's no longer Christian in no way. It, not, it may resemble it, but it isn't a Christian act. Yeah, it's uh, the spirit of a, of the whole thing, and in fact, uh, I can make the case, I think you would too, that in fact what we've got is confiscation or theft uh, uh, at the point of a gun, essentially, with government uh, having the ability to uh, to do that. Um, so I, I want to get back and uh, with you sometime in the future just to focus on economics and the importance of Christianity on free market economics. So, uh, But today, I'd like to cover some more general topics. we got only, my engineer tells me, six or seven minutes left. Uh, let's talk about the sanctity of human life, for example. Uh, what, what was it like before Jesus walked uh, the face of the earth? It was a little different. Yes, I have an entire chapter in there how Christianity elevated the sanctity of human life and in, in a number of ways. The Romans and the Greeks were practicing abortion wide scale, just almost like, well, we're imitating them in many ways. The Christians opposed abortion, and I cite numerous examples of where they did this in the church fathers and so on down the line. In addition to that, the Christians opposed infanticide. This was common. For example, and I cite individuals as an example of Romans. When they, he was in the military and he left and he told his pregnant wife, if it's a boy, keep it. If it's a girl, kill it. Girls particularly were highly vulnerable for infanticide. In addition to that, child abandonment, which was legally, the Christians picked up these little abandoned children, sometimes, if you will, on some city dump, and picked, uh, and nursed them and raised them, and, and, and again, the, the Romans and the Greeks thought these guys were crazy. In addition to that, Christians opposed suicide. Uh, they opposed the gladiator events or contests. For example, in the 390s, Theodosius I, the uh, Christian emperor now outlawed the uh, gladiator contest in the east, and in 404, his son, who was now uh, an emperor, outlawed him in the west. And guess what? They have never been in existence since. And they used to be take place quite frequently in different parts of the Roman Empire. People would go into the amphitheater, Colosseum, whatever you want to call it, and this was a big event. Uh, there's another example of how Christianity elevated the sanctity of human life. Why? Because they believed that man was created in the image of God and that was not to be destroyed willy-nilly on the basis of some enjoyment like the gladiator sports or, for example, convenience by getting rid of an unwanted child. 
and likewise that you didn't have the right to take your own life. What about uh, the area of health care and, and hospitals? Uh, it was pretty much a, a Christian invention, That's was right. it not? One of the one of the most astounding thing, and I still keep looking. I can't find those brilliant Greeks and the Romans, the Greeks particularly. They never thought of having in a hospital. There was a little resemblance of of a hospital like behavior in the in the Roman army, but nothing in the civilian level, nothing, and much less have it become institutionalized. Well, the Christians, in about 360, began to build hospitals on the east and then to the west. And even to this day, there is a vestige of that still left, although we don't seem to recognize it. When we call certain hospitals, you know, the Catholic Hospital, St. Mary's Hospital, St. Joseph's Hospital, Lutheran Hospital, Baptist Hospital, Methodist Hospital, that still goes back to the origin of Christians having brought hospitals into existence in the world. Well, now those hospitals in the United States, at least, are being crowded out to a great extent. They are. Uh, by the economic system, by the, by the health care system, essentially, and it's being replaced by government, right? How, how is that going to work out? And, and profit-making institutions sometimes. Right. Right, and and you and I, as as capitalists, don't have any problem with capitalism, and we just, as we just said, in fact, but uh, but it it replaces a voluntary act of giving, which comes from the heart, from the Christian spirit, the Christian heart, right? And yes, so and even even our taxation, which is used for welfare, has in many ways stifled Christian giving because we tend to think the government will take care of the person who is in need, and hence we, the government, indirectly has. Uh, stifled, if you will, our Christian motivation to give to those who need. Yeah, and we were paying Social Security, and that's all supposed to be make us all uh, nice and, and happy and healthy at, in the end of our lives, but we can see how the government has handled that one as well. So many other things to talk about. Education. Give us, uh, in the few minutes that we have left, uh, how Christianity influenced education in America, for example. Yes, well, right away from the very beginning. And you know, if you think about Jesus Christ having said, you go there and teach all nations, assumed you've got to have education involved. And they did. Very early, the Christians started catechetical schools in, in northern Egypt. And, by the way, they were open to both sexes. This was something unheard of, too, in the Greek and Roman society, open mm-hmm. to both sexes. And a couple of centuries later, the embryonic stage of universities came into being. Uh, universities are of a Christian origin. It cannot be debated or denied. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then as time moved on, major uni- even in this country, most of the universities and colleges that were founded for the first 200 years were all of Christian institutions, even Harvard and Yale and Princeton, they were all founded as Christian institutions, initially to teach clergy. And that's how the whole story involves. Today, for example, all of these institutions have become secularized, many times opposed to Christianity. The very roots that was, gave them the existence are being destroyed, or if not destroyed, at least covered up and forgotten. We have, uh, my engineer tells me, just a couple of minutes left, so I want to ask you uh, one of the most profound uh, facts that I sort of picked up on was the influence of Christianity on science and how it was so important in terms of getting people to think um, outside of the box, so to speak. How how did Christianity, and, and this goes really to sort of the philosophical roots of Christianity, how did that make it possible 
Uh, I think I, I remember reading something about the difference between Plato and Aristotelian thinking. Uh, how did that make a difference? Well, boy, it's a long question for one or two minutes left. Yeah, okay, uh, well, you have to take an extra you, minute well, let or so. Let me go back. You mentioned Plato. You know, to the Greeks and, and to the Romans to some extent, too, to do experimental work, which is a necessity to have science, was mm-hmm. an, a no-no for me. You just use a simple word. Plato, for example, argued against other Greek philosophers. Argued against you get anything that involved hand manipulate using the hand was something yeah. a slave was supposed to do. The philosopher king, the freemen, were not to. They were supposed to think induct, deductively, not go out and engage in inductive procedure. Well, it was until and that was the existence. For example, Plato even condemned someone who made some. Uh, instruments to study geometry. Archimedes, for example, apologized for what he did. It was simply not encouraged. Well, along came the monks in the monasteries. They didn't um, operate that way. They didn't mind getting dirt under their fingernails, so to speak, and they combined theory and research. And there you have the origin of science coming up. Previous to that, you didn't have it. The Greeks were engaged in deductive thinking. For example, they wouldn't go out and count the number of teeth in a horse's mouth, they would sit back in an armchair and reason how many. That's deductive thinking. <laughs> and we would say, we've got to go out and count. Yeah. Uh, and that was one of the first revelations I learned in college many years ago, that the Greeks did not engage in any manual activity to discover and find knowledge. They laid mm-hmm. down the theories. Mm-hmm. Democrates about atomic theory, and so on down the line. But they never, ever devised any means of testing them. So how did Christianity change that? Well, they changed it because of the logic of the monks to begin with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They weren't afraid to, uh, they didn't buy that Greek uh, philosophy that manual labor was bad. No, manual mm-hmm. labor was good. And so they began to test the theories. And finally, when you get to the 13th century, you have, for example, at Oxford University, a person by the name of Grotesti, and then his student, Roger Bacon, who began to test and lay the foundation of modern science. They wanted to have empirical knowledge that's observed uh, and, and documented rather than that's deductively deduced that may or may not be right. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, uh, it's fascinating stuff. Unfortunately, we're out of time, but I just, uh, you just hit on economics once again there when you talked about manual labor being good and that, that concept coming through has had such a profound, uh, impact on, uh, on economics, uh, in the post. Right, because, uh, you know, what St. Paul said, if any man does not work, he shouldn't work, he shouldn't eat. Yes, and so. Words, yeah. Yeah, and so those, I mean, there's some, this is a fascinating book with lots of uh, very, uh, I think, very important facts and, you know, historical facts, How Christianity Changed the World by Dr. Alvin Schmidt. Thank you. By the way, they may Dr. get it on Amazon.com if they type in my name. Okay, excellent. Amazon.com. I probably buy it at Barnes Noble as well, wherever. Yes, Alvin, Alvin uh, J. Schmidt, yes. But best of all, you know, Barnes probably wouldn't stock it anymore, but uh, Amazon.com does carry it. Also, it's also in Kindle. Excellent. Very, very good. Well, uh, from uh, our first uh, Missouri Synod Lutheran and our first uh, Canadian uh, Royal Canadian Mounted Policeman, uh, thank you very much for being with us today, Dr. Schmidt. And we will have you back again sometime specifically to talk about economics. And I think we want to talk about science as well because it's just a very, very fascinating topic of how Christianity influenced uh, the uh, science and economics. Uh, the, 
uh, and many, many other things. Thank you very well, much. Well, folks, you. don't go away. I look forward to being with you again. Thank you. I look forward to it. I look forward to it. Well, we have to go to break now. And when we come back, Jeff Wilson is going to be with us. He's uh, with Precipitate Gold, an interesting company with properties in the Dominican Republic as well as Mexico. Uh, so don't go away. We'll be right back to learn more about Precipitate Gold from Jeff Wilson. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Investors deserve to start seeing greater returns, period. Creating shareholder value requires vision and a disciplined, fiscally responsible style. At Dynacor Gold Mines, we are proving how to fuel growth without shareholder dilution. Cash flow and liquidity levels are as robust as the company has seen throughout its history. Dynacor is a low-risk public company generating actual profits coupled with real shareholder value. Learn more at DynacorGold.com or follow us on Twitter at DynacorGold. Windfall profits happen frequently in gold exploration stocks, but the risk of losses are also common. Miranda Gold enhances prospects of shareholder gains by combining the intellectual capital of geologists, mine finders Ken Cunningham and Joe Herbert with other people's hard dollars in search for elephant-sized gold deposits in politically safe places like Nevada and Columbia. That keeps shareholder dilution to a minimum, so when discoveries are made, major gains are possible. For more, go to MirandaGold.com. Precipitate Gold is focused on exploring and developing its gold properties in the Dominican Republic in Mexico. Precipitate's management team has been responsible for numerous takeovers. With valuations exceeding $280 million, with a successful team and a growing portfolio of quality gold assets, including an attractive concession adjacent to GoldQuest's holdings in the Dominican Republic, the company is well-positioned for growth in 2013. For more information, please visit www.precipitategold.com. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me for the first time Jeffrey Wilson. He's the president of Precipitate Gold Corp. Trades on the Toronto Exchange under the symbol PRG, and you can buy it in the United States. Uh, as I frequently do these uh, these kind of companies, I don't, at this point in time, have not personally purchased Precipitate Gold yet. It is a, a sponsor to this show. It is not yet in my newsletter. It may very well be in the near future, uh, but it's PRG is a symbol in Canada, and you can buy it in the United States under PR, uh, PRGIF uh, is the symbol. Uh, 20, I have um, 
we were looking at 23 cents uh, today. The, the stock was trading at 23 cents. Uh, and uh, number of shares, 25.5 million shares in round numbers, uh, but with a very small float, I think something like 8 to 10 million shares, which is very important for these little companies. It has been a very difficult time. But as we've pointed out on this show many times in the past, that it is at times like this, uh, that uh, the successful investors emerge and they're they're picking up shares and this is the likes of Doug Casey and Rick Rule who we've had on the show uh, are really quite excited about this market. I mean, it's hard to get excited about a market when it's so depressed, but uh, we're glad to have you with us today, Jeffrey, to talk about Precipitate Gold Corp. Welcome. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here, Jay. Uh, really, uh, Dominican Republic, and I'm, I visited the, the country once to see a, a junior uh, company down there. Why? Uh, what do you like about the Dominican Republic? That's where you have your. That's really where your focus is mostly right now. That's correct. Um, part of the reason we're we're so uh, enamored with uh, the opportunities in the Dominican, in part, uh, I mean, it's it's clearly it's been a, a well known, uh, highly uh, mineral endowed jurisdiction for for many many years. Part of the problem in the past was that much of the country was sort of blanket staked by a handful of large companies, and there there really wasn't much opportunity for smaller juniors to go down and and do you know, early stage exploration work. In recent years, the government has had a change in policy that's forced companies to limit the amount of ground that they can hold at any one time, and that's freed up a lot of otherwise very prospective ground in the country. And so that's created a, a, what, what we see as a, a bit of a new uh, movement down into country for picking up ground and doing some early stage exploration work on some highly prospective ground. Part of the other, another reason why uh, precipitate has, has landed down in the Dominican is, you know, without, um, without question, there has been some recent successes down there. You've had the construction and, and commencement of production of a 22 million ounce gold deposit put into production by Barrick and Gold Corp that's infused a, a significant amount of interest in the country. And you've also had some new discoveries, uh, the most prominent of which would be Gold Quest and their discovery at Romero. And uh, so what we've seen is in an otherwise very difficult market, as you mentioned in the introduction, some, some bona fide successes have come out of this region, not only in terms of exploration success, but those successes have actually translated into market success and appreciation and share prices as well. So we, we think it's a great place to, to be. We think there's great opportunity there, and we're very, very pleased with the assets that we've managed to acquire. Yeah, Gold Quest is certainly, uh, was certainly a, a breath of fresh air in the very otherwise dismal market in the last year or so, and that stock went from pennies. You know, I, it was, it's these kinds of examples that keep me interested in this business. I remember looking at it, and I think it was selling at a dime or less in the start of last year, and I said, why am I owning this? I'm going to get rid of it. I got to get rid of it, but why sell it now? I said, so I hung on to it, and lo and behold, they come through with these magnificent intercepts of, you know, like what, two, three, a uh, couple hundred meters of uh, of of one percent one percent plus copper and uh, you know a couple grams of of gold and so forth, just magnificent. Now you're in that same belt, though. You are in that uh, I think what it's called the trail uh, the trail gold trend. Is that how, am I pronouncing it right? That's correct. Yeah, and 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 we are. And and aside from being in in the same belt and, and a long trend from that Gold Quest discovery, where 
we're in fact adjacent to their property boundary. So we sit right next door to uh, to Gold Quest and that magnificent discovery that that you mentioned earlier. So not only is there Gold Quest, there's also been a number of other sort of success stories along that same trend. And you've got companies like Unigold a little further to the north, across the border into Haiti. You've got Eurasia and Newmont doing a significant amount of work further north from there, uh, Majesco. So there are a number of companies along that belt or within that region who are having, you know, quite a bit of significant success. And so for us to be uh, proximal to some of that um, obvious mineralization and and more specifically up against the boundary of Gold Quest claims, we think is, uh, you know, it, it feeds to the old saying, the best place to look for gold is where it is. And, and we think we're in the right location there. Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, one of those other uh, companies you mentioned, Eurasian Minerals and Newmont joint venture along that belt, and and uh, you know been hearing that there's quite a bit of activity. Of course, Newmont is committed to spend an awful lot of money on that on that project. So some pretty smart money uh, putting some bets down there. And um, uh, you've had some good success. I mean, you're very early days yet, but you've had some good uh, some good showing so far. Uh, talk to our listeners about that. You've had some good surface, I guess, surface samples, which isn't by any means the same as a nice drill intercept, but but tell our listeners about about some of those numbers. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, admittedly, it, uh, uh, when we initially got into the country and into these claims, you know, really we were picking these up because of their proximity to Gold Quest. And then, of course, you know, you want to move as quickly as you can. If you're a real explorationist, as, as, as our group is, you want to find out very quickly whether you're onto something real uh, and if not, it's time to move on and find something more substantive or, you know, have you got something here that you can sink your teeth into? So uh, upon acquisition, we, we mobilized crews down to site and, and basically walked what equates to about 40 kilometers of terrain uh, of hmm. our ground, uh, basically taking random, you know, samples, grab samples, silt samples, and just trying to get an idea of what kind of mineralization there may be, map the area a little bit better. And, yeah, we were quite encouraged by some of the initial results that we put out. We put out two news releases in January of this year that reported, you know, some of the uh, initial results from that first pass sampling program. And, you know, we're getting, you know, quite elevated uh, grades of gold and silver. And in in two specific locations, we're getting sort of these um, these consistent concentrations of these higher grades, which tells us, you know, there's probably at least a couple of showings here that indicate to us that this needs some follow-up work. So to just kind of pull some numbers, I mean, basically in, in one area that we're calling Melkor uh, within our project area, um, which is the Wanda Herrera project of ours, you know, we were mm-hmm. getting grab samples of 6.3 grams per ton gold, uh, 4 grams per ton gold in, in samples at surface. Further to the north on our ground at an area that we were, we're really quite excited about called Ginger Ridge, uh, we were getting samples up to 11.8 grams per ton gold mm. and uh, over 100 grams per ton silver. So, uh, good concentrations of anomalous mineralization over, you know, at Ginger Ridge over a strike length of about a kilometer. So, you know, it tells us that there's something going on here uh, to expedite this project from basically a location play to two quite highly mineralized showings in less than, you know, a few months, I think speaks to the uh, the prolific nature of this region and, and the mineralization in this Toreo Gold Belt. Right, so you're, I would imagine you're putting together some drill targets at this point in time. How are you going about that? What technologies are you using to establish uh, drill targets there on that project? Yeah, 
Yeah, and uh, definitely you're right. That's the goal is to advance this to a drill stage as rapidly as possible, but as, as obviously as smart as possible. And so the mm-hmm. next phase of work will be more detailed sort of sampling and mapping over those two main showings that I just spoke of, Ginger Ridge and Melkor. The follow-up to that success contingent, of course, will be to go in and run uh, lines of IP or induced polarization. And, and that type of exploration or target delineation technique um, you know, in some parts of the world is not effective, in other parts of the world it is. And, and we're finding that the precedent in this Toreo Gold Belt and in the Dominican Republic is that IP or induced polarization works very effectively at delineating targets. And we know that because it has led to some of these discoveries elsewhere along the trend, whether it's been GoldQuest or Unigold or the other uh, neighboring projects and companies, we've seen great success from targets that light up from IP proving to be the most prospective drill targets. So we're, we're hoping to advance this to an IP stage by the spring, and mm-hmm. the focus there being if we can get some, um, you know, some notable targets and delineate some, some drill-worthy targets, the plan would be to go in and be drilling uh, those targets by the end of the summer at the latest uh, into sort of uh, early fall. Okay. So uh, you've also picked up a property in Mexico. I know that's not your primary focus right now, but it, but it sounds pretty interesting. Talk to our listeners about that. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, we're, we're, we're reluctant to, to give the impression that we're distracted or not focused on what we're doing in the DR. So, I mean, certainly that's our main priority, as you mentioned. But, you know, it's, it's always prudent in this business, as you know, um, to mitigate risk and to, to offset risk with additional assets. And I think this Mexico acquisition gives us that. It gives us another project, in fact, a more advanced stage project, in another mining-friendly jurisdiction where we can work year-round, and um, many of the individuals on our management team have worked in the past in Mexico. So I think it's a good fit for us. Um, The acquisition terms, again, in this difficult market where access to capital can be challenging, I think it's important to acquire projects under reasonable terms, and we've picked this up for what I would consider almost negligible um, uh, option terms. And the project has seen some prior work. It's been drilled in the past. It's got drill intersections up to 180 meters of 1.2 grams per ton gold and 20 grams per ton silver. There are uh, rock samples over 100 meter widths grading uh, 0.96 grams per ton gold. There's all kinds of old historic workings within the project area and a number of quartz veins that are popping up all over the place. So, again, clearly an indication that there's something going on here in terms of uh, quite substantial mineralization at surface. The bigger picture for us will be to go in and confirm some of that mineralization through our first phase of work and then look to identify the exploration potential in the bigger picture through, uh, again, more uh, advanced technology and exploration work. It certainly is important uh, for junior mining companies, although these days it doesn't seem to make much difference if you come through with some really great results. But generally speaking, companies that can work the year-round, which you can do, of course, both in the Dominican Republic and Mexico, is very important. What about, with the couple of minutes we have left here, talk to our listeners a little bit about your people, because... You know, Jeffrey, nothing is more important than management and uh, the ability of that management team also, of course, to inspire confidence in the market to raise capital, which is extremely difficult now. But talk to our listeners a little bit about the technical people you've got on your on your working with you. Yeah, and, and you're right. I mean, I think that's critical. Um, I think at the end of the day, you, you know, a lot of investors look to bet on the jockey, and I think you want to make sure that you have people who understand the business and, and can navigate a company through difficult markets. I think, you know, for us being a newish company, the company's only been around and listed for less than a year, 
again, there's a lot of competition out there. There's no shortage of junior exploration companies all trying to get noticed and vying for investor dollars. I think it's important to have a presence. Um, we were fortunate, uh, or we are fortunate, that um, our founders uh, include Eric Coffin uh, and the late Dave Coffin before he passed away. These are newsletter writers who have, uh, you know, who are very well connected, have an audience. So that, you know, there are people who are aware of our story and although we're new and we're emerging, it's, it's very important to have an audience so that when you do have news, uh, it lands on, on the radar screen of, uh, of, uh, of investors. On the technical side, again, I think it's critical to be able to sift through what assets are worthwhile and what are, which are not. Uh, we've got, uh, Adrian Fleming as our chairman. Adrian was part of the team that discovered the underworld, uh, the white gold deposit for underworld up in the Yukon about a year, a year and a half ago. That company was bought out by Kinross. Uh, we've got uh, Quentin Henning, who is a, a professional uh, economic geologist who ran Evolving Gold for a number of years in Nevada and Wyoming, uh, now runs a company called Nova Resources. Uh, again, a very highly regarded, well-respected geological mind. Uh, Gary Freeman, who um, was um, uh, president of Pediment, which, again, was a very successful Mexican exploration company that eventually merged with Argonaut for a value of about $120 million. So we've not only got a good, solid technical team and, and, and market savvy, but also people who have not just been successful, but have been successful in recent years and, and mm-hmm. maybe more importantly, been successful in recent difficult markets. Mm-hmm. And I think that's going to bode well for us as we move through uh, advancing these projects and ideally landing on a flagship asset we can carry through. Excellent. Well, anything else you'd like to tell our listeners? We are out of time. Anything else uh, you would like to tell them? And also uh, your website so people can follow your progress. Yeah, our, our website is uh, precipitategold.com. Um, there we've got uh, more detailed information on all the projects that we've talked about and, and, and more in-depth background on, on the principles involved in the company. Um, in terms of what else I'd like to talk about, I mean, I think in, in these markets, as a lot of companies are, are sort of navigating through tough times, uh, one of the things that I think really works in our favor, and, and I believe you touched on this early on, is you know, being that this is a new company, the structure is quite tight. There's only 25 million shares issued and outstanding. <laughs> Uh, nearly half of that is held by founders and insiders. So you've got a tight float. Um, although markets are challenging, I think um, in the right environment, an opportunity to really get some traction, um, specifically if we can deliver some positive news into the market. And uh, as we get active on two fronts here, both in the Dominican Republic and Mexico, I expect our news flow to be fairly steady between now and year-end. Very good, Jeffrey. Well, we are out of time. Thank you very much. We'll look forward to talking to you again in the future and to keeping up to date uh, with your story for our listeners here on Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Thank you very much for being with us today. Thank you. My pleasure. I'll be back uh, after a note from our sponsors uh, with um, some thoughts on today's show and also our guests for next week. Don't go away. I'll be right back. comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Eurasian Minerals is a prospect generation exploration and royalty company focused on the discovery of gold and copper. The company currently has over 140 properties on four continents. Our joint venture partners have committed to spend over $15 million on Eurasian Minerals projects in 2012. The company maintains a tight share structure, a low cash burn rate, and holds $43 million in cash, creating value through discovery, growth, and royalties. Eurasian Minerals. 
Gold and Arrow Resources on the TSX Exchange has recently made a new silver discovery and is presently drilling a 6,500-meter program on that discovery. A maiden resource calculation is expected to be released in April of this year. The project is located in Jujuy Province in northern Argentina, just 30 kilometers from the Perquitas Mine operated by Silver Standard. Golden Arrow has an experienced team with decades of experience in Argentina. Golden Arrow offers shareholders exceptional leverage with an exciting new silver discovery. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number 4, Taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Trading Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I um, really want to thank each of you for listening to this show. Uh, we really enjoyed today's discussion with uh, with Jimmy Rogers and also with Dr. Alvin Schmidt, uh, as well as Amir Adnani, uh, really a very interesting uh, – Amir Adnani as well as Jeff Wilson, and I think these are, are two companies that have a real good shot at doing well, and it's hard to say that in these markets when it's so difficult uh, to gain any traction to see the share prices rise, but a lot of these companies are able to uh, to move their projects forward in spite of it. Amir, for example, has, has done an extremely good job of um, – of raising capital over the years, and I think, uh, as I think about it, both of the companies that we talked to today, uh, share structure comes into uh, into mind as reasons to be optimistic about them. Both companies um, have a very tight share structure. Amir at Nanny uh, makes a practice of not providing warrants uh, that will come back to add a lot of volume, a lot of um, uh, dilution into the uh, into the market in the future. So he's been very conservative, and he attracts uh, he attracts a lot of really good, strong. Uh, deep pockets behind him, a lot of confidence and a lot of good people. Uh, as I look at uh, uh, Jeffrey Wilson's company here, Precipitate Gold, I look also at share structure, and I see also that's a company that has done uh, extremely well at having a very tight float uh, and some very strong people involved with the company. It, it really always boils down to people and the confidence in uh, in uh, in the management and the ability to raise capital and good management will find good properties, and good management will find a way to make mediocre to excellent properties into something worthwhile. Uh, and, uh, well, if you have bad management, you should just forget about it, I guess. That's the, that's the main message. Uh, with respect to today's guests, I, I, again, I'm sorry. I, we do harp a lot in this show about a lot of gloom and doom stuff, and it was nice to have a couple of weeks ago uh, with us um, – uh, a more optimistic view of the world. I'd like to be able to feel that way about things. Uh, let's hope uh, that the doomsday crowd is wrong. And uh, but in the meantime, let's look at reality. Let's try to look at reality as best we can. You know, I think that both uh, Jimmy Rogers uh, and Dr. Alvin Schmidt uh, have a great deal of uh, of things to tell us and to warn us about that I think that we can't ignore. We can choose to ignore if we want, uh, but we do at our, at our own peril. Uh, and so, you know, I have 
been known as a gold bug. I'm not a gold bug because I want to see the world go to hell. I don't want to see things get bad, but I am a gold bug because I believe they are because we are throwing out traditional values that have made us strong, uh, that have made us important. I think the Christian values, absolutely, that Christianity and capitalism go together. Uh, and, and, um, you know, fascism and communism destroy capitalism and they like to destroy Christianity as well. Well, uh, at least those are my views. And if you have opposite views, you know, please send us uh, an email and let me know what you think. Well, my engineer is telling me that's all the time we have, uh, for this week. So I want to thank you again for listening. Uh, next week we're going to have Rick Rule and Bill Tatro will be with us. Gene Epstein of Barron's. Uh, we're going to have the CEOs from Eurasian Minerals and Northern Freegold with us as well. I want to thank Tacey Trump, uh, my producer, and Matt Widener, my engineer, for making this show logistically possible. Thanks to each of you for listening. Until next week, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel.